Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, uh, it's good to be here, and this is the last week, I think, of the return series, so I get to, uh, to do that. If I were to tell you that um, I go to the gym regularly, four or five times a week, actually, uh, you'd have to believe that by faith. Um, it's not always obvious, but I do. But in the time when COVID was closed, and they're open again now, but I kind of set up my own little gym at home, and, and uh, I want to sh- share with you just a couple of things that, that are part of my equipment. There they are. There are two. This is a, a medicine ball. You would know what a medicine ball. It's sort of really hard rubber, and it's got air in it, and they're all different weights and different sizes, but they all look a bit like that, and you can use them for all sorts. I'm not going to do anything with them, but you can use them for all sorts of things. You can stretch a bit more with them. You can, you know, bounce them around the place. I should have had some music going, but, but uh, I chose not to. But you can, use, you can use them to sit up and get a bit more oomph in your sit-ups, all that sort of thing with your, with your medicine ball. And then there's uh, another one that looks like this. This is called a slam ball. Anyone heard of a slam ball? A slam ball is something I love to use. I don't use the medicine ball that much, but the slam ball I use, and I use it a lot at home. And a slam ball, um, you do a lot of repetitions with a slam ball, and in effect, you just bring it above your head. I'm going to show you how this, I hope the stage is well done. And you slam it down, you pick it up, and you slam it down. It do, it's much more dense, it doesn't bounce, and you just keep slamming it, and you do a number of repetitions. One day I was in, uh, before COVID, I was visiting, going to a conference in Melbourne, and I went to a gym there in the morning. It was about 5.30, got up, went to the gym. And I was due to uh, be at this conference, you know, first thing in the morning. So I went to the gym and I thought I'll do some repetitions with the, with the slam ball. So I grabbed the slam ball off the rack, went over and, and it, you, you've got to do it really fast. And I slammed it down and realized it wasn't the slam ball. It was the medicine ball. And it bounced up bloodied my nose, put a teeth, tooth through my lip, and I went to this conference with my lip about three times the size it was normal. For me, that was a, mistake, a, a case of mistaken identity. I thought it was a medicine ball, a slam ball, but it was actually a medicine ball. It did me some damage. I want to talk this morning about the case of mistaken identity of how we very often um, think of Jesus in one way, but the way we think about him is not always the way he's portrayed in the scriptures that we see in the gospels. And so I want to call this, if you like, the case of mistaken identity. And so it sticks in with the theme you've had for the last few weeks. It's subtitled, Return to the Real Jesus. Who is the real Jesus? And And we're not surprised that people today think of Jesus in all sorts of ways and all sorts of, um, you know, thoughts about him. People think he's a nice guy, he's a good teacher, he's meek and mild, he's like Santa Claus, he's, you know, he's a revolutionary. All of those things that people think today is a swear word, whatever it might be, people have all these views about who the real Jesus is to them. And it's nothing new. In Jesus' time, when he walked the earth and sauntered around Palestine and Jerusalem and his hometown of Nazareth, there's nothing surprising. There were people in those days who got the wrong idea, so much so 
that Jesus had to ask a question one day, who do people say that I am? And who do you really say that I am? And I want us to explore this morning who Jesus really is, just with a couple of thoughts that hopefully um, explain and hopefully give us some insights into that. I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 16, which is the nub of that, of that, of that question that Jesus asked his disciples. Matthew 16, starting at verse 14. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say St. John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah and one of the, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? In other words, who is the Jesus to other people? And that's okay, but it's more important to discover who he is to you. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah or the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. Lenny ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. There were a lot of people in Jesus' day who had a case of mistaken identity. Who really is this person? Who is this person, the Son of God, the Son of Man? And we need to understand who he really is. And I want to just suggest three things to you today about who the real Jesus is. First thing is, I want to suggest to you that the real Jesus gives you your real identity. He's the one who gives you your real identity. In fact, if you were to read just a little bit of that passage from the message version, the more modern paraphrase, you'd read it this way. Jesus came back, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself let you in on this secret of who I really am, and now I'm going to tell you who you really are. Because once you know who he really is, you get to understand who you really are. And he goes on to say, um, you're Peter, you're the rock. This is the rock on which I put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. You see, when it comes to our identity and who we are, as we go through life, it gets smudged, it gets tainted, it gets contaminated by lots of things that happen around us and lots of people's expectations of us and lots of the tags and lots of the labels people put on us. But what is your real identity? I want to suggest to you that your real identity, biblically, is your soul. It's that part of you, that precious part of you, that essence of you. Your soul's not a thing, it's not a knit. It's you. It's you at your deepest part. It's the bit that God created and knew about before anything else. It's the identity you had before you had an identity. It's really important to understand that. Paul says he chose us in him before the creation of the world. You were chosen. God knew about you before the creation of the world. The book of Jeremiah says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It's really important to understand that existence precedes conception. Our, our scientists argue all the time, when does life really start? When does life start? Does it start at conception? Does it start at birth? Does it start somewhere in between? And because of that, all sorts of moral questions get answered because of the, the, the conclusion you might come at. But 
Your existence comes before conception, before you were formed in the womb. I knew you. You existed to God well before you were conceived. That's your true identity. That's who you are. That's who God has chosen you to be. That's your soul. That's what God has has made for you. That's how, how God knows you. He's created you. The trouble is that during conception and afterwards when you live in this world, you start to, your identity gets kind of tinged and tainted and you start to get labelled, you start to have tags put on you. We're the most labelled generation's ever been. We hashtag everything. We are just labelled. While, you, while you're still unborn, you, you, you are labelled. You're a boy, you're a girl, you're um, from a, a well-to-do family or a not-so-well-to-do family. You get all these labels even before you were born. And then when you're born, boy, it just goes crazy. You're pretty or you're not pretty. You're smart or you're dumb. You're well off or you're not well off. You're a bit older in life. You're, you're intelligent or you're not so intelligent. You're a success or you're a failure. Failure. You're married or you're single. We start to build all these tags that become part of a new identity that, we manufa- that gets manufactured for us. And so you have this you who is the, the part of you that God created from the beginning and knew about, which is pure and rich and, and, and delightful, which is called your soul. And then you have this other identity which gets manufactured for you by other people and what people think of you and how people see you. And we might call that other identity, uh, for want of a better term, ego, which just simply means I am. It's just a Greek word for I am. So you have this soul and ego and, and your soul loves to um, be nurtured, it loves to be encouraged, it loves to get close to God. Your ego loves to be fed, loves to be boosted loves to get more labels, more tags on it. That's who we are. That's how it happens. You have these two identities. And the difficulty is, is that both of those identities, your soul and your ego, are yourself. They're both yourself. They both are you. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have this tussle in life between those two. You know, do we nurture our soul, that deep, rich part of ourself that God knew from the beginning? Or do we feed our ego with all new tags and new labels and new things? It's why Jesus said one day, very clearly, and just imagine you can just see this on two sides. He called the crowd to him and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow. In other words, you have to be get back to your soul roots. Deny this side, get back and follow. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you want this bit, you'll lose this bit. If you want this bit, you'll lose some of this bit. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and my gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good is it to to build this bit up and lose this bit? Because that's your true identity. That's your original identity. That's what gives you who you are. Your your ego wants to gain. What does it profit to gain the whole world? The soul wants to surrender, be nurtured. And we live in this tussle, which are both ourselves. 
It's important. The soul is the deepest part of you, the God-breathed part of you. It's why you need to nurture your soul, which is your true identity, not feed your ego. The real Jesus will lead you to the real you. But the more he becomes just an added extra or a bit on the shelf or a bit to the side and all the time we're, we're doing this over here and building up more tags and more labels and more tainting of the original us, the more difficult it comes to return to the real Jesus. See, to return to the real Jesus is to accept the identity he gives you. And he's given you from the beginning. The real Jesus will give you your real identity. Second thing I want to say, it's always good to let people know it's three because you can, you can time it. It's a little bit going through and you know, you past one. The real Jesus will lead you to messy people and places. The real Jesus will lead you to messy places, people and places. Um, Jesus seems to prefer the mess of humanity as opposed to the sanitized humanity. He seems to really appeal to and appreciate the mess of humanity rather than the sanitized of humanity. Philip Yancey in his book, um, The Jesus I Never Knew, says it this way. I think it's up on the screen. About Jesus' life, we noticed a striking pattern. The more unsavory the characters, the more at ease they whelmed, they seemed to be around Jesus. The more unsavory the characters, the more easy and at peace they seem to be around Jesus. When you read the scriptures, that's true. The more religious the characters, the opposite is true. Jesus will lead you to messy people and messy places. What he does. I remember at Bible college many, many years ago, and I was at Bible college studying, and every day we had devotions. One of the students would lead a devotional time every day, 10, 15 minutes at a chapel time. And I remember one day a, a guy called Phil. Phil was, a, um, was from Tasmania. He was not just a heroin user, he was a heroin dealer, one of the largest in, in Tasmania before he found Jesus and had faith in Jesus. And he was sharing his testimony this particular day and he was telling the story of what life used to be like and what happened to him and how he found faith in, in, in the midst of that trauma and the midst of that, you know, pretty decadent world. And I remember walking out of devotions that day and I had mixed emotions, two mixed emotions. The first one was this, that is a fantastic story. God is great. How good is God doing that? But the other one was kind of, not disappointment, but uncertainty. Thinking, well, what have I been rescued from? I, I, I didn't come to faith from a degree degraded background. I, I came as a pretty average sort of bloke who found Jesus in the midst of his average life. was excited about that. Whereas, you know, Phil could stand there and say, we've been rescued from a life of drugs and crime, etc. I, I couldn't say that. So I remember saying to God, little creek used to run past our, our college, I remember saying to God, God, what is it you've rescued me from? I know it's from sin and I know it's from death and that's enough and that's great, but Phil's got this story and I don't seem to have that same story. And I remember as clearly as I'm standing here, it wasn't an audible voice, but I remember God saying this to me, Tim, I've saved you from respectability. I've saved you from just being respectable, just being sanitized, just having your life all neat and tidy. I'm going to be in it. 
I'm with you no matter what. And if you want to follow me, you've got to follow me into those messy places, those difficult situations. One day Jesus walked in, he'd, he'd left town, he, he came from a town called Nazareth, but in his day was about four to five hundred people in population. And he went, he left around and went, all of a sudden as God was, his father was using him brilliantly, he went around preaching and teaching around the area. And one day he came back into his town, he went to the synagogue in, Naz, in, in Nazareth. And he walked into the synagogue, you know, and Jesus was a tradie. He had a, at least a second generation trade business. His dad was a carpenter, he was a carpenter. He's probably built dining room tables for the people in that synagogue, I don't know. He might have quoted on their renovations, I don't know. He was a tradie. But somehow he's gained mystery and he's gained, you know, a new life that has seen him be God's man, son of God, son of man. And so they revere him a little bit when he comes back into the synagogue and, and uh, they ask him to read from their Bible, which was just a scroll of Isaiah. Could have read from anywhere, could have chosen any passage, didn't tell him where to read from. So he reads and he picks out what we know as two verses. They weren't two verses to him, there was no numbers in the Bible in those days, no scrolls, just a scroll. And he reads those words you know very well. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Messy. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Messy. Recovery of sight for the blind. Not just physically blind, but spiritually blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's his job. Closed the scroll up and gave it back. And he stood up and said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, if you want to know what I'm about now, people who know me very well, if you want to know what I'm about now, it's about that. It's about good news for, for the mess. It's about freedom for the captives and the prisoners. And by implication, if you're going to follow me, you'd better be about the same things. If you're going to follow me, you better be about the mess. And about the unsanitized. And so from then on, Jesus went and there were hungry people and he fed them. There were demonized people and he released them. There were chronically ill, paralyzed people and he saved them and healed them. He wasn't afraid of the big issues of his day. He wasn't afraid of some of these. He dealt with corruption. He had a man called Zacchaeus up a tree and called him down. Zacchaeus was one of the most corrupt men around. He wasn't afraid of, he, he, he ran straight into racism. Jews hated the Gentiles, Gentiles hated the Jews. Both of them hated the Samaritans. And he told the story of a great Samaritan who was the hero of the story above a priest and a Levite. And now the Samaritan's the hero of the story. He ran straight into racism. You have, we tell us that as a Sunday school story today, the Good Samaritan story. We have no idea what that meant for Jesus in his day. That sort of stuff will get you killed when you tell that to priests and Levites. And it did. The real Jesus never ran away from the broken, from the lost, from the messy, from the oppressed, from the alienated, from the downtrodden. And in the kingdom of God, there are no undesirables. There are people who need, like all of us, to be reset, 
restored, renewed, but he never ran away from pain, darkness, brokenness, or from humanity. The real Jesus will call us to real places. Just after this, he told his disciples he's got to go, suffer and die. He never avoided that. He never avoided the reality and the mess of life. The real Jesus will lead you to messy places. Third thing I want to say is this. The real Jesus will leave you with the internal resource to follow him. He will not leave you alone. He said that. How could he say, I'll be with you always when he was taken up to heaven if he's not with us always? He left us with the internal resource to do that with his permanent presence by his Holy Spirit. Not as some sort of thing to somehow coax into our lives and hopefully God will do something with us, but it's a promise. It's a promise that Jesus gave. That those who choose to follow him, those who put their trust in him, now have the permanent presence of him as his Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Really important to understand that. When you come to faith in Christ, a transaction happens where God's Spirit bears witness, the Scriptures say, or testifies or connects, juxtapositions itself with our spirit, and we become children of God. Romans 8 says this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So, our faith choice causes a transaction. And then the Spirit of God dwells within us. Not sometime later. Then, Jesus says this, John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John chapter 7 says this at a feast. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, the rivers of living water will flow from within them. And this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. He hadn't been crucified yet. But at his death, a new covenant came into play. At his death, this new covenant meant the Spirit of God would come and, and, and live with people, live in people. And now the, the Spirit of God lives in you as rivers of living water ready to move out. So for those of us who trust in Jesus, the trajectory of the Spirit is not out there on or out there in, it's now in there out. There are rivers of living water living in you now that God wants to bring out to the world that you live in. I wish someone had told me that when I got rescued, when I got saved. The kind of people gave me the impression that now, you, now you're a Christian, you just follow Jesus and we'll teach you to pray, we'll teach you to read your Bible, go to a good church and that's it. And somewhere down the track, this other thing will happen. Call it what you like. Whereas 
No one pointed me back to Jesus said, he'll be with us and will be in us. No one pointed me to that. So for a couple of years of my Christian life, I lived in this world of, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe God isn't quite so, maybe God's not the reluctant father who's like a jug pouring out his spirit to some people here and some people there and the people at the front have got it and the people on the platform have got it and some spiritual people have got it, but I haven't got it. And you live in your, your life in this place of uncertainty. Whereas the real Jesus says, the Spirit will be with you and be in you. Because this, this transaction has happened. This thing has happened. And later on, God can do all sorts of things. Later on, can, God can manifest gifts in you. That's certainly an experience of me. And later on, you can do this and do that. But at conversion, His Spirit dwells within you following this transaction. It's an enormous thing. And it saves a lot of angst and it saves a lot of hassle and it's the real Jesus promising you the real thing. The real thing. You know, when I first got saved, people said, oh, look, you know, just when, when, when it's time, we'll pray for you and you'll receive the Spirit and you'll have this gift and you'll do this and you'll speak this way and you'll speak in tongues and you'll do this, etc. You do a whole bunch of things. And I had experience of those gifts down the track, but that wasn't when the Spirit came. That's when God manifested gifts. Don't confuse the gifts with the gift. The gift is given. Otherwise, God is an, an awkward father who just chooses at a whim when he's going to do something for somebody, he's not like that. He's not like that at all. He may choose different things following your conversion for different people at different times. But it's not the giving of the Spirit that he chooses differently. That's yours as a follower of Jesus. It's just uh, extraordinary. Paul says to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through, through Christ Jesus. So that, listen to this, by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. By faith. Not by sight, not by sound, not by touch, but by faith we would receive the promise of the Spirit. The trouble is sometimes we have, we have seen the promise of the Spirit to do with things that God says not to do with. It's down the track. It's, I'll choose when I give you these gifts, but now you have the Spirit. But we've tended to correlate them so tightly that we tighten the gifts with the gift. Trust it. God has given us the promise and by faith, you believe the promise and you are new people. You are new people. And I just, it disturbs me sometimes that perhaps the amount of people who've never been expressly encouraged to live by the Spirit, it's not some weird, wonderful thing. It's not some, some freaky sentence. When, when Paul says, keep on being filled with the Spirit, it's not that the Spirit comes in and out of you, it's about you. 
He speaks it to people. Keep on leaving your life open so that you can be filled by the Spirit who lives in you. It's not about keep on being filled as the Spirit goes in and out and goes in and out goes in and out. That's crazy. It's you have received the Spirit. Keep on being filled because He's there. Don't close down. Don't quench. Don't grieve. Be open. There's rivers of living water living in you as a follower of Jesus. Waiting to come out at all, whether it be in church and at worship. You know, sometimes I think of worship, we feel like we've got to coax the Spirit down from somewhere. No, no. We've got to bring the Spirit out from somewhere. You and me. Generosity. Mission. It's all about the Spirit who's within us. The real Jesus. The real Jesus gives you his resource to live the life he wants you to live. This is the real Jesus. Sometimes we get this mistaken identity of God, who he is, who Jesus is. He's just a first century prophet, whatever it might be. And somewhere down the track, we'll, we've met him and we've accepted him, but somewhere down the track, I'll discover his spiritual life. No, you have it if you follow him. And you know that the real Jesus will give you your real identity. You don't have to worry about just defining, don't be defined by what you do or what people say about you. Be defined by the God who knew you before the creation of the world and before you're in your mother's womb, knew you. Be defined by that. See the real Jesus who will take you to messy places, to awkward places, to unsanitized places, to places that aren't just neatly tied in a bow. And see the real Jesus, return to the real Jesus who gives you his real self living inside you to empower you for living and life and mission and faith and trust. It's a promise. I want to encourage you to return to the real Jesus. To wrap up our series saying, return. I'm going to pray and I, I just recognize that sometimes we do in this world we live in get messed around a little bit, get tinged and tainted with, with uh, names and identities that people give us and, you know, we get mixed up. And sometimes it's good in our own lives just to simply say, Jesus, I return to you. You're the real Jesus. You give me my life. You give me my identity. You give me my mission. You give me your power to live within us. Let me read just one more scripture and I'm going to pray. In Ephesians chapter 3 at the end it says, we, we love the scripture, we, t we, we read it all the time, we quote it all the time. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, we love that bit and we often stop it there. According to his power that is at work within us. Not according to his power that's at work out there, but according to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. Let's return to the real Jesus. I'm going to pray. These guys are going to play behind me. And I just want to say this. If today, no big deal, but if today 
you want to say in your own special way, your own way in your own life, um, hey, I want to return to the real Jesus. I've got it messed up. I've got it mixed up. I, I, I've, my identity's kind of in all sorts of things. My identity's doing a whole bunch of things. I don't believe I've got his power within me. I don't, I don't like messy people, whatever it might be. If today you want to say, I want to return to the real Jesus. I want you to stand where you are. And just as I pray, I don't, I'm not going to... I'm not going to call anyone's name in or ask anyone to come down the front or pray individually for people. But if you just want to say, today, I need to return to the real Jesus. Would you just stand right now? Just now, I'm going to pray for you. Just a few seconds and then, uh, then I'll pray. Father, um, we confess that there are times when we get caught up in the case of mistaken identity where we, Lord, we, we think we know who you are, we think we know who Jesus is and we get maybe caught up in the trappings of church or the trappings of religion or the trappings of what we've always thought. Today, Lord God, we just want to recognize the real Jesus. We want to return to the real Jesus. The Jesus who gives us an identity that's, that's about our essence. The Jesus who knew us before the creation of the world. The Jesus who knew us before we're in our mother's womb. Father, we want to again thank you for the real Jesus who lived his life in messy places and unsanitized places and cause grief and difficulty and heartache to people sometimes because of his faithfulness to you and spoke in the midst of darkness and brought hope in the midst of despair and Father we want to return today and recognize you're the God who gives hope and power and presence you presence yourself with us by your Holy Spirit Father, we want to thank you for that and we would pray that today we might just return to the real Jesus. Be refreshed, renewed, simplified maybe in our faith. And it will trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.